This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 90. I don't know why that number just amuses me greatly. It's like a big round number 90. Uh, and it, it seems, I guess, kind of fitting for a big round number to have on our most prolific guest. Welcome back, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you for having me uh, once again. I'm happy to be back. Now, if, if I do an episode every week, which I probably will, do you know when we're going to hit 100? In Japan. In Japan. So you might be on that too. If I can get you, you know, if you feel like it's hard to actually get everybody together to record. Also, my girlfriend shot me like an eye roll when she was in at the idea of us recording in Japan. She's going to be there this year. But, um, but yes, I think that would be the plan to record something in Japan. So you could be on our 100th episode. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to see what see what happens. Unless the TSA decides again that my microphone is a bomb, <laughs> like they did. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, before we get into the the content of this episode, there is a lot to get to. I want to quickly shout out the people who again left very positive reviews on iTunes for Omakase. Um, I really appreciate it whenever I see one of those, and there was another great one by someone called uh, No Chance in Hell. That was what it was. No no Chance, like C-H-A-N-T-S in Hell. So there you go. Thank you to No Chance in Hell for a great Wrestling Omikaze review. Um, we've, we buried that one guy who was very mad at my <laughs> WWE takes. He no longer shows up on the, on the front page. So... And, and shockingly, I did not get another, like, angry WWE fan review from last week's. I don't know if you heard last week's or not, Taylor, but we were we were a little negative towards the World Wrestling Entertainment. But What a, what a surprise. <laughs> um, but that's not this week's topic at all, actually. This week we're talking New Japan and All Japan and DDT, uh, three great Puro companies. We're going to start by wrapping up the New Japan Cup, uh, where we left off last week. We're going to blow through the second, the end of the second round, of the quarterfinals, so we can get to the semis and the finals from today. Um, and then we'll talk about All Japan's March 19th Corican and DDT's March 21st Corican. So a good variety here of different Puro content. 
Um, I guess let's start with let's start with the New Japan Cup. Get that get going through that first. Um, where I left off last week would be the Sunday, uh, March seventeenth, Cork and Hall show. Uh, that would be the end of the second round. Not a ton to say here. There was the Toriano and Colt Cabana match, which went about um, only about seven less than eight minutes, and Cabana went with the Superman. Really, not not a ton to that match. It was just kind of you know your typical kind of comedy match. Um, you know, I'm not usually a big. I mean, I'm, I am usually big a bigger comedy fan than some people, but I just wasn't really into that one at all. I don't know. It was just it never really clicked for me at all. What did you think of Taylor? Any, any big thoughts on this one? Um, I thought it was fine. As you said, it was short, so I didn't mind it. I thought it was fairly funny and didn't overstay its welcome. So, you know, I thought yeah. it was fine. It feels like so long ago, even though it was only, you know, <laughs> we're recording this on the 24th and it was only a week ago. It was I so many, feel like, yeah, so, so many, many matches. matches. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the main event, Sonata and Minoru Suzuki, this was a very, I think a very um, divisive match. So Taylor, why don't you go first on this? what do you think of this? It went 28-45 before Sonata got the win with a rounding body press. That's what they're calling the moonsault? Because he wants the moon is, is that what they call it? I thought they call it a moon. I don't know. I could have sworn he, he just won with the moon salt. So, yeah. Yeah. I, whatever. Anyway. Um, I thought it was fine. I don't have anything that really sticks out. Uh, we'll talk about this more as we get to this, the um, next few dates. But Sonata really doesn't do much for me. And Suzuki can mm. be hit or miss um, as well for me. So Taylor is coming down as on the anti-Sonata side of yes, unfortunately, the great debate. Um, we're going to be very, we're going to disagree a lot during this <laughs> talk. Man. We'll have high drama. Um, but I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fine. I don't really have many thoughts. And like I said, you know, it was a week ago, so I think the more specific thoughts I probably would have had have now sort of dissipated out of my brain. Um. um what I have down here is notes because yeah, I, I barely remember this match too. But you know, the big critique I saw thrown through around or thrown around before I watched it was that Sonata spent too long in like various Suzuki submission holds, and I thought that was a weird critique to single this match out for, considering that's like that's like every Suzuki match to me. Like he just really puts people in holds for a long time. Um, you know, it is it is what it is with him. I mean, it's just kind of part of the part of the whole package. Um, As far as this match specifically goes, I was really into it. The only thing I didn't really like was the the skull end leg lock sequence that went on like a little, a little long, a little too long. And the crowd actually kind of like died a little bit. So you could tell that, you know, and they were very into this before that. So maybe that was uh, the big flaw of the match, but I still went four stars on it by the end. I still thought it was a very, very good match. I just think if they had cut some time from the end of it, uh, the last sequence, it would have been even better. But, yeah, that's where I am on that one. So let's go then to the second round. The second round I really did not care for at all, and I think, um, you know, I'm the outlier here, so that's fine. But it began with on the March 20th show, uh, which was in uh, Shizuoka. And Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi, Ishii winning in 2025 with a brain buster. Um, did you like this match, Taylor? Uh, I thought it was pretty average. 
you know, I was a fan. I was probably in the upper echelon of Yoshihashi supporters um, before he got injured. I thought, you know, he could have good matches. He was certainly capable, not that it was happening every time out. But I just feel like since he's come back that something is missing. And it was so funny because this show I actually listened to the English commentary, which I almost never do. Um, but Escalibur was on commentary, and I thought I would – I like to listen to any sort of newer English commentators when they start just to see what they're like. Um, and they talked a lot about, you know, Yoshihashi. He doesn't have – you know, he's dis- – even they were talking about he's disappointed. He doesn't look focused. Um, yeah, they've been doing that all tour. So – that sort of surprised me because that's sort of what I've been thinking. And to hear, I mean, obviously they're not, I don't think being watched too closely by anyone in the company, but to hear them say that I was kind of like, Oh yeah, it must really be. So I just thought it was pretty middle of the road average. I I agree. And I saw a lot of people go a lot higher on this, like, you know, four or whatever, but I, I think I went two and a quarter. I have a whole listing. I should just look it up. I think I only went like just I said slightly below average. Um, but yeah, I just I just no, I went two and three quarters, so slightly above average. But yeah, I just didn't really care for this at all. It never really clicked with me. Um, I just didn't I didn't even take any notes on it, which is always a good sign of a match that I just wasn't into at all. <laughs> so it just wasn't was not very uh, interesting to me. Um, I don't know. There's something about Yoshihashi and like his, you know, especially during this run, he just looked especially absurd in there with, with Ishii. And there was just a lot of moments in there where it just felt like, you know, Ishii should really like beat this guy in 10 minutes. I get what they're going for, like Yoshihashi going for it, but you know, and showing that he can survive in a 20 minute match. But like, he just did not feel worthy of, of Ishii's time, especially with the role. You know, if she was on this tournament. So, yeah, it just didn't work for me. Main event, Okada and Will Ospreay. Speaking of things that did not work for me, Okada won in 2010 with the Rainmaker. I'm fully willing to admit that I'm, like, in full outlier status on this um, on this Will Ospreay run. I just do not enjoy anything about his heavyweight run so far this year. Uh, I think the, the highest match I have is the Kota Ibushi match of the Dome. I still only want, like, three and a half on that. It's just like it's just not clicking for me at all, and I, I actually preferred a lot of his junior stuff from last year over what he's been doing so far this year. And I don't know, there's just there's something between like I, I feel like he's trying too hard to be this heavyweight badass, and you know the the grunting is really over the top. I know people think that it's a nitpick, and that it doesn't matter, but it just it legitimately throws me out of the matches. Um. I think in in some ways it, it throws me out of matches even worse than the the screeching he used to do um, threw me out of the matches because at least that was like temporary. It would be like okay, well he's screeching for an armbar. It's very stupid, but then it moves on. Here it's like he just never stops with the fucking grunting. And like I get it, you're a big tough guy now, Will. We all understand you don't have to grunt like this over and over and over again. It really drives me crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean like. It, it didn't drag, so that's good. Like, the 10-minute announcement came and went, and I had no idea where the fuck that time went when it came and went, so that's, you know, 
I guess you could take that as a compliment, but really, I just it didn't feel like anything had happened up to that point. Um, I don't know. Like, there's just there's it just doesn't even it, like nothing here clicks for me. Obviously, I saw people going like four and a half on this, and um, I don't know. The the fancy sequence was like okay, but then the the last rainmaker and the stormbreaker into the spinning tombstone sequence that was just really unnecessary and looked. And didn't look anywhere near as smooth as the rest of the match anyway, or the rest of that finishing sequence. So that dragged it down a little bit for me too. But I went two and a half on it. I thought it was a very average match. Did not did not click for me at all. So Taylor, tell me you loved it. Go ahead. I thought it was fairly good. I would have gone like three and three fourths. It had the weird I got the weird feeling of it felt like an exhibition match where it was sort of two guys that go out and they're like, look, here's the moves that we can do. And they just sort of go through their moves that they have. And it's like, Oh, this is sort of nice, but it, nothing really like, it felt weirdly like a sports all-star game where it's like, we're, you know, you know, we're both in chaos and we're going to go out and we're going to have this battle. And, you know, we're just going to do our moves and then someone's going to win and that's going to be the end of the match. So I never really got that heavily invested in it. Um, yeah. And it's it certainly had a different feel than, you know, there was another chaos versus chaos match that we'll talk about in a few minutes that had a totally different feel I felt than this. Yeah. Um, which just sort of felt like here's all the, you know, the 15 moves I can do and we're going to do them and then the match will come to an end. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I mean, I don't have it that high, but I agree with you on the general field of match. Uh, okay, so the other side of the quarterfinals on March 21st in Hamamatsu. First of all, Colt Cabana and Sonata. Um, Sonata beat him in 15 minutes with the skull end. This is a match I was I was actually liking it early on. I thought it was, like, very inoffensive fun, you know, and, like, just totally, like, you know, little like they they hit like a good little combination of like it wasn't quite comedy, but it was just like an enjoyable little mat wrestling thing. You know, I was really into it for like the first five minutes, and then it just fucking died. Um, you know, the stuff on the floor just like grounded to a halt. Um, there was like a really sloppy sequence where Colt almost dropped him off his shoulders. Um, Lowen Sonata went, went to do a springboard. And I don't know, like, they just never got... They, they felt like they went almost to try to do a big New Japan match toward uh, the longer it went on, and Colt just could not do it. You know, God bless the guy, but he just has no experience with that style, and just, it didn't... He didn't... It didn't work here at all for him. Um, I'm not going to blame Sonata, because Sonata's had a million great matches in that style and would go on to later on in this tournament. But it just didn't work at all here with Colt, and... Yeah, they looked like they're on different pages. Again, really good first five minutes. Everything after that was pretty bad. So I went like two and a quarter. Um, I thought it was f- another match I thought was fairly good. Um, I felt like the finish really, for me, I guess, came out of nowhere because he got put in the skull end, and I feel like he got put in the skull end, and then it was like, oh, he tapped out, and it's over. Yeah. And I was sort of like, oh, I figured there might be one where, you know, you try for the ropes, but it was sort of like, oh, you get put in it. And, oh, that's the end of the match. There was, I do agree, that weird thing about the springboard where he caught him, but then ended up on the other side of the ring or something. And I had no idea what was going on. Um, Because it clear, 
it was, I guess, a mistake, but it weirdly looked like it almost wasn't a mistake. Uh, so I was a bit confused there. I thought it was a little bit better than you. Like I would probably go like three and a fourth or something like that. I like Sirius Cabin. I think he's got the capability. Um, but I, I just saw the match as something where it's like, okay, Cole Cabana, he made it to the, what was this? The final eight people? Yeah. Um, or how, however the final, many, the final, the final four. No, 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 final eight. No, no, okay. Um, and that it was just sort of like, oh, he made it to the final eight, and now he's getting beaten by someone who's very good, so he gets put in the finisher and he loses. So that that was what I read into it. But, you know, it was yeah. fine. What do you think of Tanahashi and Sabre, which saw Tanahashi win in 21-11 with the Japanese leg roll clutch hold? Uh, so I felt around probably the same, like, three and a half. I have to admit that I have sort of fallen off the tra- the Sabre train mm. um, in that I've sort of lost interest in his matches. Um, I thought that this one was fairly good. I was Tanahashi late in the match hit a reverse sling blade, which I really liked, and I don't remember him ever doing that before. Yeah. Um, and then Tanahashi won. Like, I feel like he might have done it like one second against Nakamura. I don't know why I have that in my head. I just have this image of him doing okay. Nakamura. But like, if he did it, it was a long time ago. Right. I just thought it looked cool, and I was like, oh, that's sort of an interesting move. And then he won, and Tanahashi made such a strange face when he won. Like, it was almost the face of someone who thinks, oh, I definitely wasn't going to win this match, and then, you know, I pulled it out. Yeah. Which is not really the Tanahashi character to to say, oh, I didn't think I would win. Well, I thought it worked for this, because Saber, the thing they were pushing was that was like, he was going through the same people's last year and he's just unbeatable role in this new, in this new Japan cup. So I thought it worked. I thought Tanashi was the underdog. Yeah. And I like, I mean, I, I, mean, I picked I, him to win this, but I thought in the storyline, I thought he was the underdog. And I like Tanahashi beating Saber with, you know, a very similar uh, move than what Saber uses. Yeah. Cause um, he's been, he's been doing a lot of flash pins. So it, it, it made sense. Um, I thought this was very boring early, and that's you know even more so than a lot of longer New Japan matches. So, and this only went twenty one minutes instead of like thirty plus. Like I can forgive a boring. It's easier to me to forgive a boring five or even a boring ten if you're going to go thirty than if you're going to go twenty. So that that to me you have to take it down a, a bit because of that. Um, I definitely it picked up from the the part where he gets really vicious with the dragon screws over the ropes. Um, and I just, you know, the, the what it ended, what it ended, I thought, you know, like I have the exact same rating as you, I had three and a half. You know, it was good. I liked it. But, you know, the, the early part was just so boring. And I never thought it hit like that super next level for me to make up for it. Um, but yeah, I did. I that, that was also like he won with a Fujinami move too, which I thought was cool. Because it was almost like this whole telling the story of like Tana trying to get back to the garden or trying to get to the garden with the the moves of you know his old mentor Fujinami who of course also wrestled at Madison Square Garden uh, for the WWWF so that was kind of cool but 
yes, I definitely thought this was the weakest of the of all the rounds, the quarterfinals. You know, the first round was awesome. The second round was pretty damn good. Uh, and the semis and the final I really liked too, but the quarterfinal I just thought was a pretty weak round. Uh, okay, so moving on then to the semifinals on March 23rd in, in Nagaoka. Uh, first of all, we have Katsuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. This is incredible. I, I, I'm not really going to disagree with any of the consensus on this. Um, Okada won in 21-10 with the Rainmaker. Uh, they just went out there and they killed each other. I mean, there really isn't a ton else to say. I mean, it's pretty much the exact vicious strike fest you'd expect. You know, Okada's chest was like fucking hamburger, like maybe five minutes into this. Um, and they just, you know, they played off some of their last matches with some of the same counters with Ishii using that headbutt counter of the Rainmaker and then just like destroying him with his own lariat. Uh, they had the spot again where Ishii just no sold, no sold the Rainmaker. Um, but then they had a new counter to my, my favorite, maybe my favorite part of the entire match was when Okada went to do the Rainmaker and Ishii took him down into an arm bar. And it's like, when's the last fucking time you've seen Tomohiro Ishii do an arm bar takedown? Like, that was so cool. Um, really, really awesome spot there. And, you know, the only complaint I really have is that it it's kind of showed how repetitive Okada's offense can be sometimes when he just, you know, felt like all he was doing in this match was drop kicks. And that's fine, because, I, I mean, his drop kick is awesome. But, you know, it does take it down a little bit for me when I'm just, like, on the 10th drop kick. I'm like, okay. You know, enough of the drop kicks. But it was still really good. And Okada won with the spinning tombstone, the Rainmaker. It just felt like he survived it, basically, because he, he just took all the damage. But continued to show how that spinning tombstone is, like, you know, his big death move. Um, but I like the story that he just barely survived. Uh, he just went by escaping that brain buster over and over again, where Ishii, you know, went for it over and over and over again. And Okada just, you know, slipped out every time. Like, it, it looked like Ishii just had him over and over again. But he just couldn't hit the final death blow. So, yeah, I went four and a half on this. I thought it was fucking awesome. What do you uh, think? I, I also went four and a half. I mean, I think you sort of summed it up pretty well in that. What, you know, why is the match so great? Well, it's an Ishii match. And if you know what that looks like, this was kind of that match. Um, I thought it was really great. I thought, you know, I think Ishii has a great sense of the proper time to do the one count kick out, uh, which sometimes can be overused or improperly placed. And I think Ishii has a great sense of the correct places to put that. Um, but I mean, it's it can just be summed up by saying it's an Ishii match. Everything you would expect to be in the match is there. And if that is a style you like, it's a match that you'll like. And, you know, we talked about the Yoshihashi match, which was not great. But for my money, I think if I had to pick one wrestler for a match where I had to nearly guarantee that the match would be at least four stars... I think it would be Ishii would be my pick. Um, it just seems like, especially in this uh, New Japan Cup, he delivered multiple times with a variety uh, of different opponents, both sort of character-wise but also skill-wise. Um, 
So I thought he had a great run. Certainly would not have been mad if he would have um, won the match and gone to the finals and maybe won the whole thing, but also was happy with Okada winning. Yeah, I agree. So Tanahashi and Sonata, the other semifinal. Sonata won in 24-11 with the skull end. What did you think of this one? Um, it was going to be our first big disagreement. <laughs> it was another one I thought that was just that was just fine. Um, I was spoiled on it, so I knew that Sonata was winning, which maybe mm. hurt um, the match a little bit. Tanahashi made another strange face, but this one was in the middle of the match. Um, and but it was sort of a heel because the crowd was behind Sonata. And yeah, Tanahashi, because they're in his hometown. Yeah, Tanahashi made some heel face and got a lot of booze, which I, you know, thought was fun. But I thought it was, you know, another match. I key. I feel like a broken record at this point, but I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Yeah. See, I love this. Um, I thought first of all, Tanahashi was great as the heel, and you know, the, the crowd he helped it a lot with the crowd like just outright booing him for that rope assisted dragon screw. Um, the only the big thing that took the match down to me is where they decided to put the the first skull end. It just felt way too early, and like no one in the crowd bought that it was going to go to the finish. So that would be like my big complaint with the match, which took down the rating for me. But uh, at, everything after that, like Sonata busting out a random tiger suplex hold, thought that was really cool, and he just basically just started using that here and in the final, I think. And you know, it was like a a good extra little weapon for him. Um, you know, they they kind of like traded the the dragon screws, and Tanahashi got the worst of it, and then like remembered to sell the leg after he blocked the moonsault, which was good. Um, and then both guys like busted out their flash pins, which made a lot of sense because they could both they both have won matches in this tournament with the flash pin. So I thought it was credible that they could win here, and I really liked the whole sequence where they both like pushed each other's shoulders up to keep them from like actually getting the Japanese like roll, like roll clutch. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this was, I, I didn't see Tanahashi topping out, but I thought it was a good finish just to, you know, he had been winning with the moonsault so much that I thought it was good just to, for him to just tap Tanahashi out. And obviously I think the biggest one of his career. So a really, really good match. I went four and a quarter on it. I thought it was awesome. So that's I'm going to disagree again with the noted Sonata hater here. I'm sure on the main, I'm sure on the final too. So let's see here. Um, okay, so the finals also in Nagioka. I just want to note too for the undercard. Um, if you have time, it's only eleven and a half minutes anyway. But the eight man tag with uh, Lij Naito, Evil, Bushi, and Shingo against Ibushi, Ishii, Taguchi, and Narita is really fun. Uh, it's got like some cool little spots. First of all, it has it has Tomohiro Ishii like waddling out to the first opening chords of Kota Ibushi's theme song, which was like the <laughs> funniest because you know how he always waits forever to come out right for his own theme song. Like Ibushi's theme started, he was he like waddled out immediately, and it was like I don't know why it was so funny to me, but I probably like rewounded three times and laughed. And plus, it's a very un Ishii theme song anyway. So, um, but yeah, so that was really funny. And then he wouldn't do the fist bump with Taguchi when everybody else did, which was also very amusing. And then Taguchi tried to join LIJ to escape a four-in-one beating when they caught him in the corner. Like he did like the chest, the chest pound and the, the fist up in the air, which I just realized I pantomimed at home for nobody watching. But <laughs> then that did not work. 
Uh, and then Naito and Bushi, they did an exchange where they just like, okay, we're in match four in an eight-man tag. Let's just murder each other. So like, like Naito dropped, or yeah, Naito dropped Abushi right on his head for a German. Abushi popped right up and just kicked him in the skull. It was like, okay, you guys are going a little too hard here for an eleven and a half minute undercard tag. And then Evil and Ishii started doing like standing and trading, which was cool. Um, and then there was a really cool exchange of Shingo and Naruto at the end. Uh, so yeah, that was like it was like a three and a half star eight man. So definitely seek that out if you if you skipped it originally. Um, and it, it, well, also at the end of the match, you saw Evil and Ishii like continuing to fight. So it looks like that'll be a match on the next tour probably. Um, other than that, we can go ahead to the U.S. title match. Juice Robinson and Chase Owens, 22-12. This fucking sucked. I don't know, Taylor. Do you feel any different? Because I thought this fucking sucked. Uh, I also thought it was bad. <laughs> I was thinking during the match, if you had a bingo card with about every possible way that interference can happen in a wrestling match, you probably would have had bingo about four <laughs> ways. <laughs> Because it was like, you know, the, the, you know, the manager side man gets on the apron for a distraction. You know, the manager comes in and uses a foreign object. There's powder. Someone comes from the back. The ref uh, is bumped. And, you know, shenanigans. Ha- it was like every different type of interference. I was like, oh, please stop. And to, to me, I find as you know, especially in the past few years that once interference happens in a match, it's very hard for me to reinvest in it. Now, you know, if it happens for about three seconds um, in a match, it's a little bit different, but when it starts happening multiple times, my brain is, there's something in my brain that just says, well, this is not important. I agree. Um, I Here's what I want to say too, though, even before, the, you know, the, uh, the interference stuff started. I thought, I still thought this was pretty bad. Um, you know, I just thought, first of all, it is really like clear. I think if you, if you skipped ahead of this match, you would think this crowd was dead. I just watched this crowd three matches ago, go fucking nuts for an eight man undercard tag. Okay. So that wasn't the crowd's problem. The problem was that they didn't give a shit about juice Robinson or chase Owens. And especially, they didn't give a shit about the United States heavyweight title. And that's New Japan's fault and the booking's fault more than anything. Um, I mean, no one in Japan, and probably no one on Earth, cares about this fucking title. And is there any reason for them to, honestly? I mean, what has this title been since, you know, since it's been established? It was the Kenny Omega Memorial Belt. You know, he had a belt for a while when he was just, like, holding on to it when it was clear they were just keeping away from the heavyweight title. He lost to Jay White. Jay White had a good little run with it, but Jay White wasn't established yet. He lost to Juice Robinson, and Juice went on to lose like eight out of ten matches or something in the G1 as champion. And then after that incredible, incredibly bad G1 run, he immediately loses it to Cody, who vanishes with it for four months, you know, never defends it, and then shows up at the Tokyo Dome and loses it back to Juice. And then Juice vanishes from New Japan, goes to Ring of Honor, you know, defends on a U.S. show that no one on earth watched because they didn't put it. They didn't put the show up until a month later, and this is basically the first time we're seeing him, unless you watch that U.S. show that nobody watched. So, you know, I don't. I don't blame them for Juice and the U.S. title not being over because it it doesn't make any sense for it to that it would be. So you can't blame the crowd. 
That's my first thing. And then on top of that, the two of them worked at a very slow and like deliberate pace. And like in a different context, that could that could be good. But when you're dealing with a completely dead crowd who doesn't care about you or your match, you know, it's where you got to call an audible or something and just fucking like start doing high spots. Like you can't do this like slow chase Owens walking over the back crap. If it's just like, if the crowd doesn't care, it doesn't work. So yeah, it just really wasn't good. Um, and then, you know, that, then, like you said, we had the bingo card of interference, which is always going to be bad. But I just think it was, I thought it was bad before that too. So I went, I gave them two stars. I gave them credit for like some spots that looked fine and some stuff that was okay. But like, yeah, it was pretty bad. So I don't know. I don't know what to do with this title and what to do with Juice right now. I mean, it looks like his next defense is either going to be a singles match with Bad Luck Fale or a three-way with Fale and Mikey Nichols which, God bless them. I'm trying to get that over and trying to get the title over at that. But this title feels like it's just completely, you know, it, it means absolutely nothing and it's completely forgotten. So, you know, I don't know where you go with it from here, but it's it's like below European title level in, in old, old school WWF at this point. I will admit I am very nervous for the Madison Square Garden show, which seems crazy to me i mean i would have put this match i mean i'm sort of glad that this specific match didn't happen at the garden but i would have put this match up are you going to have a madison square garden show without a united states title defense maybe are you gonna do juice versus folly versus nickels at msg (laughs) i got hope not um i just look at this msg card and i'm thinking it's their biggest show in the united states And, you know, we'll talk about it in a second. The main event looks good. You know, you got the junior title match, which probably will be a lot of fun and good. And then the rest of the card is like, oh, what are we doing here? Yeah. I mean, all the Um, Ring of Honor stuff looks bad. but I mean, the four, it's probably going to end up being a four-way for the, you know, all the title, tag titles. Um, and it's just like so much of it does not look good. And I'm, but I can't see anything that New Japan would add. I mean, they, that's this, gonna help. This card desperately needs, like, originally you're supposed to have Tanahashi and Jericho. It sounds like, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm based on up the Meltzer report. It just seems obvious to me that's what he meant. Um, but like, if that had, the, if this card had that, you know, that would have helped a lot. At least it would have like a second marquee. New Japan match. I mean, without that, this card needs Naito Ibushi. I mean, at this point, I would call an... Obviously, I'm very biased here. I would love to see that match live. But I would call an audible, and I would have that match be announced from MSG. I don't think it will be. I think they're going to announce that there's a press conference at 1 a.m. Japan time as I, as we talk about this. So the people listening might know or might know before we know. But I think they're going to announce that for Nagoya still, the, uh, the show two weeks after Sengoku Lord, two weeks after MSG. But if it was me, I would add that to MSG and, like, I don't know, just, like, pull something else out of my ass for Nagoya because, you know, this this MSG card is in danger of, like, not being a very good show beyond the top few matches you talked about. Yeah, I'm very concerned. And, you know, there's a – probably a lot of people will say, well, you sold out the show. You don't need to put anything on. But I think we've reached the point in the U.S. expansion where – you have to stop treating it like everyone in the United States is stupid. 
um, you got to start giving people matches. I mean, you saw if if we were talking about a venue in Japan that seats twenty thousand people, and we said they'll get a title match and then they'll get Juice Fale. <laughs> I mean, people would be going, "What are they thinking?" And yeah. there has to be a point where it doesn't become, well, we just give the U.S. the scraps that, you know, Japan doesn't really want. Um, I mean, obviously, look, they have the title match on top, which helps, because without that, this card is, I would say, a complete disaster. But, um, yeah, so, but as you said, by the time this comes out, maybe they've announced four amazing matches and we'll eat our words, but who knows? Yeah. Um so then the main event, Kazuchika Okada and Sonata, the New Japan Cup final. Okada won in 33.07 with the Rainmaker. Now, judging by what you said earlier, you didn't like this match that much, so go ahead and tell me about how you didn't like it before I gush about it. Well, I gave it four and a fourth, four, oh. four and a quarter, um, so I didn't but, hate it. Yeah, you liked it a lot then. But <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I thought it was good, but, I mean, you'll talk about it. I know that you loved it. Just to me, Sonata is such a, not even in-ring talent-wise, but he's in a match, and I just don't know how I'm supposed to feel or react or think about this person. He's such a blank slate, and I know that part of that is the character um, of this kind of too cool, won't speak. But he just it just comes off where I'm just sort of like, Okay, then, what? Whatever. Then, I wait mean, a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I want, I want to argue this a little bit. Okay. In in general, I can understand that critique. Here, I don't understand that critique at all. Here, he was just the hometown boy trying to do it for the hometown fans. So I thought his character here was very clear. He was just a guy trying to win, win in front of his home crowd. Well, I mean, I guess the fact that they're in their home, but I get. <laughs> I guess then if you're playing, uh, I guess I just didn't feel that. I mean, obviously they're in the hometown. Obviously the crowd was behind him, but I'm just talking personally. I don't live in that town. So to me, yeah. I'm not like, oh, I'm hoping the hometown boy wins because <laughs> we don't live in the same town. And I just, it, it just doesn't connect with me. I mean, the, the dragon sleeper, the skull end, um, you know, now it seems like every time he does it, he's got to, like, flip into it. And I'm just like, can't we just get into it and, you know... See, I, lo- I love the flip. And the skull and the- See, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, this is totally... It's like, here we go. We're flipping, you know, here we go. He's got to go to the front and then flip himself over. I'm like, why would you ever do that? Well, I thought it usually looks like he's trying to... It usually looks like he's in the front position already, and it just makes the most sense for him to flip over. Like I don't, I don't know. Usually, doesn't it usually looks so smooth and like it's part of all the counters that it just that's just the position he was in. So it's how he got into it. I don't know. Like I get countering, but it just feels like to me, like every time he gets in the move now, it's because he flips into it. Where I'm like, okay, you counter one, or you know, there was the there was the moment when you know it was kind of the the battle of is it going to be the t- Okada's tombstone or is it going to be you know, the skull end and Sonata was kicking his legs um, as Okada had him up. That one makes sense, but just some of them just sort of, I was like, what's, 
why? Why? Um, mm. So I mean, I didn't hate the match. As I said, I gave it four and a fourth, but it four and a fourth is sort of the border of oh, this is pretty good, but it's not in the great period for me. Really, four and a quarter to me is still like a, a really good match, just not like match of the year level. But I don't know, different rating systems, I guess. But um, yeah, I thought this was really, really good. Uh, as people saw me on Twitter earlier, probably already know my thoughts on it, but I'll tell the rest of you too. I thought, first of all, the first five minutes were, were like, you know, there's a certain kind of like we're going really long New Japan main. And a lot of times the first five minutes in that, in that kind of match is so boring and dull. But when... Sonata, like, and this is to me, is like one of his big qualities that he has going for him in New Japan. He is a very, very smooth mat wrestler, and he's in a company where a lot of the wrestlers are not very good and are not very smooth <laughs> on the mat. So it really helps him stand out to me. Like he, I can always count on him for like a a smooth, you know, good like good looking mat wrestling sequence, which you know I appreciate a lot, more, maybe more than other people do. But yeah, so I thought that was already a really good start. Um, you know, Okada, like, had, there was a really cool spot where Okada had the double leapfrog really well scouted and then, like, tossed him out to the floor for that Pescado. That was a really cool spot. The one flaw in the match and the only thing that keeps it from really hitting five stars for me was we had, like, a long chin lock from Okada, which I don't feel like he gets enough criticism sometimes for how often he uses these really lazy rest holds. Um, he does go into them a lot sometimes in these spots where it just kind of kills the match dead for a little bit. But but then Sonata right after that like got had like a really, really cool little mini comeback that really got things moving again. Um really great dive to the floor looked great. And then we had the you know the first like great reverse sequence of the match where he reversed the tombstone right into the skull end and then you know basically got Okada reversed that back into tombstone then he reversed into his own tombstone hit an awesome backdrop. Uh, it was really good. And, you know, there was another really cool transition out of the skull end right into the tiger suplex hold, which was like a really cool little spot they pulled off really smoothly. Everything here was executed like perfectly too, which, you know, is not always the case when you're trying to do these many, like this kind of like really, really high level reversal counter match. So that really helped it for me too. Uh, and the crowd was just like so into all of this and just made it feel, you know, even better. Um, you know, when he went up for the moonsault especially, it was, like, almost deafening. And I wasn't spoiled watching this. I don't know if you were. But I still kind of assumed Okada was going to win. But I, like, I seriously think when he got up to the top rope, I was like, well, in another universe, like, this is Sonata's big one, and he just is a main eventer from here. Because whatever you think about Sonata, he's super popular in Japan. And, like, he's popular everywhere he goes. But especially here in his hometown, that would have been a great moment for him to win. Um, he had a great rolling elbow counter out of the, the spinning Rainmaker, which I've never seen anyone counter it that way. That was really cool. Um, there was this whole sequence in the corner and where they, Sonata got the skull end and Okada like ran up the ropes with like almost like the Bret Hart, Steve Austin counter, but then turned it into his own skull end and tried for the tombstone. Uh, that, that, that whole sequence was awesome. But yeah, I just thought this was like, about as good of a big Okada match as you could do between the crowd and Sonata being like 
the crowd being so fucking into it. Sonata being so smooth in his execution with Okada. Um, I thought it was the best match the two of them ever had together. Way better than the, the I think the new beginning title match I went four and a quarter on, and much better than that G1 match they had that was only like three and a half. And, you know, I just, it felt like Sonata's peaking, you know, as far as like his, like his style and the crowd being behind him. So, you know, and it's, I, I like this a lot better than a lot of the uh, hyped Okada title matches from his last reign. So I went four and three quarters and it is my current match of the year. Just barely beating out Naito and Ibushi from the first round. I want to rewatch both those matches back to back just to like really come to a complete conclusion. But I think right now this is my new match of the year. So there you go. But there you go. Uh, Nicole in the background is telling me it's March. I'm aware it's March. Thank you, Nicole. But I'm saying as of now, it is four and three quarters. But yeah, so I put together a whole list too of my New Japan Cup tournament ranking. Um, You know, I have just to quickly go through the top 10. I had Okada Sonata, number one, obviously at four and three quarters. Ibushi Naito from the first round on March 10th at four and three quarters. Uh, Ishii and Taichi from the second round at four and a half. Okada Ishii from the semifinals at four and a half. Ishii and Nagata in the first round, four and a half. So that's my top five. Then Sonata Tanahashi, four and a quarter. And then the rest, all four stars. Um, Taichi and Homa from the first round. Sonata and Suzuki from the second round. Sonata and Goto from the first round. And Zack Sabre Jr. and Evil from the first round. So that is my top ten. Uh, very good tournaments, in my opinion, for Ishii, who had three four-and-a-half-star matches, which is just crazy. Uh, and then Sonata had a four-and-three-quarters, a four-and-a-quarter, and two four-stars. So those would be my two MVPs of the tournament. But, you know, overall, very good tournament, especially when the median the median match in my list was three-and-a-half. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't like as much as other people, especially in the quarterfinals, but still very much enjoyed this first-ever 32-man tournament. What do you think of the tournament as a whole, Taylor? Yeah, I thought it was good, too. I was a little bit worried, um, having less to do with match quality or anything like that, when they announced 32 people and they said, oh, we're doing 14 shows, you know, (laughs) and you think, oh, my God, it's like another G1. But I think having only, you know, after the first couple of nights, having only two matches a night, is sort of nice and easy. Yeah. You know, I think most nights it was about an hour uh, of actual um, time that you had to watch. So I thought it was pretty easy. And, you know, I had, I was concerned that it would be a time suck, but I didn't really feel that at all. And I felt like there were a bunch of good matches. Um, So I certainly was happy with it. I'd be, I'd be happy to see them do it again. I would like them next time to maybe bring in a little bit, um, higher quality of sort of outside <laughs> um, talent, just because I think you know Magic you have a Cabana. you have um, CMLL, you have some people in Ring of Honor who I think would probably be a lot of fun. Um, and I think if you're going to do 32, you know, there's a few matches in the first round where you just kind of say, okay, let's just. <laughs> cut to the end of this match so we can, you know, get to the next round. But that would be probably one of my few complaints. So, yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. 
So that's it, folks, for the New Japan talk, at least until we get to our questions. Um, we did talk briefly a little bit about the MSG card. Um, you know, we, there's not a lot of po- point into going deeper into that because, like I said, we might, we're going to get some more matches probably. But I will say the ROA, what we have so far, like Taylor was saying before, does not look very good. So <laughs> hopefully we get some more stuff here that will make – I mean, I think this card needs one more big – New Japan singles match at least, and hopefully we'll get something. You know, if not Naito Ibushi, then something else. Because right now, um, you know, I'm, unless you're a really big fan of 2019 Ring of Honor, there's probably not there's not really a lot in this MSG card that's super exciting. I mean, unless you're really on the edge of your seat for that Bully Ray open challenge street fight, <laughs> I don't know. But okay, so All Japan, March 19th, Corican Hall. Um, a 1600, 1,615 announced, you know, very crowded, uh, you know, what do you, what do you think of that number? That was a very good number for Kento and, uh, for Nomura's first title challenge. Isn't it like the best number that they've pulled in quite a while at Corican? Yeah. Uh, I, read of, that somewhere? I, I think, I think they said best number other than tag league or champion carnival. Yeah. I so, I mean, it's good for them. Obviously I'd love if every promotion, you know, I guess every promotion that I like, uh, to draw big numbers. So, yeah, good for them. Um, and they and another good thing is we'll talk about the matches, but I think that they uh, mostly delivered a good show. So, you know, it's good to deliver a good show when you got a lot of eyes on you. So hopefully the trend continues and they can continue and get more and more people. Having a very good year so far, I think, in general. So, uh, okay, so we're not going to talk a lot about the undercard. Um we saw most of it, but there really wasn't a ton to say about the first four matches. Other than, I really liked the match three, Jake Lee and Ryuji Sai against Yoshitatsu and Yuma Aoyagi. Um, you know, I just thought they were they were great fun. You know, Lee and Sai punishing Aoyagi and Jake Lee. Jake Lee looked better than he's looked in a while. Um, I'm not a Jake Lee hater. I, I've actually was always a big fan of the guy, but like. Um, I just thought he's looked pretty average in the past few months, which, you know, had to be concerning and because they clearly wanted Jake Lee to happen as a big rival for Kento. Um, but yeah, he looked really good here though. So it gives you a little bit of hope and hopefully he can keep it going in the champion car and that's going to start in a couple weeks. Yeah, I thought it was good, although there was one strange moment and it weirdly came back in another match where Jake Lee got up and I think it was uh, Yuma was was supposed to come towards him, and he wasn't. So Jake Lee kind of stood up, and he acted like if you asked a child to say, pretend you're dizzy, um, kind of like weirdly stumbling around for only a couple seconds. Um, and then Yuma came towards him, and he hit him with a knee, I think, is what happened. But it weirdly came back because Suwama did the same thing in the in – the, tag title match um so it was just a weird thing where i was like what is going on these guys like doing this weird sort of ah i'm very tired and dizzy um so yeah i mean i thought the match was good the other thing i have to say about the actually next match which doesn't really have anything to do with the in-ring but um akira francesco and dylan james and joe doring um Dylan James was in the ring and he went to tag in Joe Doring and the camera kind of did a weird pan over 
and it's Dylan James, who's pretty big, and I think getting bigger, um, or appears to be getting bigger. Obviously, Joe Doring is a big guy, and the camera kept panning, and then all of a sudden, Akira was in the shot, and he's tiny, or at least tiny compared to those two guys. It looked like two dads and like their child son were having a wrestling <laughs> having a wrestling match, um, which I really weirdly became fixated on because it was such a strange image um, that you don't often really see in wrestling of guys unless people are facing each other and it's like you know a David and Goliath matchup but just to have three guys of totally different sizes on one team was very strange to me yeah it was it it was a really weird image (laughs) Um, okay, so the last three matches, the big matches here. First of all, the World Junior Heavyweight title, Koji Iwamoto defeating Kotaro Suzuki in 13-18. Um, what do you think of this? Because I think it's been a little bit of a controversial uh, you know, take on Iwamoto and his title reign lately. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I went three and three-fourths. Uh, okay. I really like Suzuki, so that probably helped. And there was a... I thought the finishing sequence was really strong. Um, And Suzuki hit the, I think he hit a tombstone uh, late in the match that I sort of bit on as being the finish, Um, but obviously was not the finish. I, you know, there's critiques about Iwamoto out there, which I sort of agree with in terms of, you know, the match doesn't really start until he starts doing the judo throws. Uh, which I think in this match happened about halfway through. Um, but I thought it was fairly strong, you know, uh, for a match third from the top, um, three and three-fourths. I mean, I was perfectly fine with it, thought it was a fairly strong match. So, Yeah. What did you think? I liked it. I was three and a half. I just – it feels like I think a lot of people have it a lot higher than we do. Um, I just thought early on it was very boring. Um you know, and they also blew a spot in the corner when Suzuki was trying to come off the middle turnbuckle. It looks like he just kind of fell. So I docked it for that. And I just, you know, even though I did really like it at the end, but, you know, three and a half is about the highest I can go. And, you know, I totally get the critique of Iromoto that he's very formulaic, but I, I like him, but I just think that form he, he does have a formula. It's very clear. Uh, the World Tag Title Match. The Violent Giants, Shuji Shikawa and Suwama, defeating Strong BJ, Sekimoto, and Okabayashi in 26-48. I thought this was just slightly below the January match. I had this one at four and a quarter, and I had the January match at four and a half. I mean, but I could watch these two teams, like, destroy each other until the rest of time. I mean, they they just kind of feel like these two teams in a hot corking crowd is, like, what Japanese wrestling is supposed to be. So, you know, really, really good stuff. Um, you know, if I want to get my one little nitpick, it was Suwama, like, collapsing after the Lariat exchange with Sekimoto. It just looked very stupid the way he did it. just, like, I don't know, felt like it was, like, a delay long enough to be almost a flare flop, but it was, like, it felt almost comedic. It just didn't fit the tone of the match at all. So that was my one big critique. But my, one fa- my favorite spot in the match was uh, the Golden Splash near fall after – Yuji came off the top rope because Suwama timed it exactly right and the cameraman had him out of the shot. So, like, you just see him flying out of nowhere where it looks like there's no one to save. Uh, there's no one to save Ishikawa, and, you know, Okabayashi's definitely pinning him 
So especially since, especially since I was not spoiled, that was really cool. But yeah, really awesome match. What did you think, Taylor? So I had it at four and a half, and I have to admit this will probably uh, bring me great shame that I haven't seen the first match yet. I just haven't gotten wow. around to it. Yes, I know. Incredible. <laughs> um, I still have to watch it, and I'm sure I will get to it at some point. But it's just one of those matches where it's been on my list and, and, you know, New Japan Cup comes up and different things come up. So I will watch it. But I thought it was really great. I gave it four and a half. Um, I totally agree. Just four guys, um, you know, really wailing on each other. I think your part about Suwama doing the sort of flop was I, I think that was the same moment that I kind of had it, that critique of where it's kind of a weird like, oh, I'm tired. Um, but I thought it was a great match. It is another one like we talked about um, with Ishii before. You know, you name these four guys, and it's sort of the match that you expect, um, which is a great match, and I really liked it. The main event for the Triple Crown title, Kento Miyahara defeating Na- Na- Naoya Nomura in 28-58. What did you think of this, Taylor? Why don't you start? I really liked it. I thought it was a really strong match. Um, I liked Miyahara's um, sort of heel tendencies throughout the match. I liked him playing, you know, sort of playing up to the camera uh, at the beginning of the match. There was a point, um, one thing I really liked, which um, is more about the announcers, is that I watched the Ring of Honor anniversary show um, whenever that was last weekend. And one thing that just drives me crazy, Ian Ian Riccoboni, I think, is a great announcer, but something that almost every American announcer does that drives me absolutely insane is when a big move is hit and they go, that's it. We have the upset of the century. One, two, and then they kick out. And so it's like, oh, and we've now choreographed that when you tell me it's the end, it's not the end, which... It feels like everyone in American wrestling announcing does. And um, I did notice in this match, the uh, German suplex hold, you know, in Japan, they say the name of the move as it's being counted, which is not a giveaway. So I think near the end of the match, Miyahara hit the German suplex and they said German suplex and he kicked out. And I was like, oh, that seemed like it might be the ending. And then the second time he hit it for the finish, they said it again in the same way, which I was like, oh, that makes sense that you're saying the name (laughs) of the move, you're counting along, and it doesn't give away the fact that one of these is the finish and one of these is not. Yeah. Um, But I thought it was a really strong match. You know, there's now this big debate about is Nomura the – you know, should he jump Lee in the pecking order? I don't know if that should be the case um, based on the match. I don't know how much – I don't know, John, if you have an opinion on this about how much of the kind of quality of the match is due to Miyahara or how much is due to Nomura. Um, I don't I know. No, that, I thought Nomura was great, so. Yeah, I thought they were both equally great, but – Obviously, Miyahara is seemingly, you know, killing it with everyone this year. Yeah, that's true. Um, So I don't know if it's just the fact that you could kind of plug anyone in and they'd sort of rise to the occasion. But 
I thought it, I thought it was a great match. As I said, I went four and a half. So I, I was totally into it. A great end to the show. Um, yeah, I, I four and a half is exactly where I had it too. I thought it was awesome. Um, there was a whole vibe at the start, especially where Nomura was basically like, you know, your ship's not going to work on me, bro. I've been watching you all this time, which I thought was really good. Um, and then there was this whole like sequence I could only call like headbutts on the floor. <laughs> that was really sick where they just kept like, like just colliding and like headbutting each other over and over again while they were out on the floor. It was really, really cool. Um, and then Kento, I thought, really went into like cocky heel mode, and at one point even hit like a, a like a cocky pose back in the ring right after he just finished destroying him on the floor. So you know, it, like every Japanese ace has that inner inner heel that they have to embrace sometimes to get these kind of matches over. And I thought he did like no, whenever Mihara has to do that, I think he does a really good job, and he showed that again here. Um, and the same thing, we had like a very evil smirk and like stuck his tongue out right after he had sidestepped the charging Nomura and sent him uh, shoulder first into the post. So like I thought his performance here was really good. Um, and Nomura was awesome as like the the fiery underdog and really like, you know, showing a lot of that fire. Um, and like by the time Nomura like really like shoulder blocks him down out of nowhere, you know, it's, it's like you just kind of want to jump on your TV screen and high five him. So it was a great moment. Uh, a great sequence there. And then you covered a lot of the other stuff I would have covered. But, you know, I just think... I saw some critiques like Nomura kicked out too much, but I think it worked for the story they were telling, that, you know, he was like the the, the kid who... The kid in over his head who doesn't know when to quit, basically. So I thought it worked. Um, but yeah, I also had four, went four and a half. Um, I put it right below Kento and Suwama as far as, like, the big Kento matches this year, but I still thought it was really good. Um, you know what I just realized, by the way? The the champion carnival starts for WrestleMania weekend again. Yeah, which is yeah. really, really annoying um, for us personally. Although I don't even know, you know, they announced the blocks, and I'm like last year I watched every single match. I did um, too. From the champion. I, I don't know if I'm gonna do that this year, just from a t- just from a time perspective, but also sort of from a do I really want to be <laughs> You know, some of the talent is, you know, you lose Shingo, obviously, is going to be a downgrade almost anyone you choose um, to bring in. Um, you know, Yoshida, I see him a lot in Dragon Gate, so I don't know how eager I am to see him. See, I'm um, really curious about that. In I all Japan. It. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's great. Um, and I certainly probably will uh, pick and choose as things you know, matches that interest me or matches that get a lot of hype. Um, but I don't know how much I'll be, you know, watching every show like I did last year. I think I'm going to watch them all. We'll say if I skip anything, it might be like Sam Adonis versus Joel Redman or you know, <laughs> Gianni Valletta versus Dylan James and whatever. Like I might skip some of the foreigner stuff, but we'll say, um, but yeah, so it kicks off April 4th is the opener at Corican, when we'll obviously be at the WWN shows all day. And then April 6th in uh in Kizarazu when we'll be at MS you know, MSG and you know, out having a good time too. And then April 7th in Nagoya, the same day as WrestleMania, which that's fine. You can always skip some of WrestleMania. <laughs> I mean that fucking thing is gonna be eight hours long or something did you hear that 
Yeah, I heard that. I'm not going to, I wasn't planning on watching it. So I'm sort of like, well, more power to people <laughs> to watch it. I'll probably come home and like watch the VODs of a couple of the shows. Like I'd like to see the WrestleCon Super Show, which is happening at the same time as DDT, um, which should be a good show. And if you want to go, there's an extra ticket available. Yeah, I just retweeted uh, again, actually, before. Uh, <laughs> we have an extra ticket for that, and we have three tickets for the WWN Super Show. So give us a, give me a ring on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, yes, but I'll probably watch because I'm if I'm going to watch eight hours of wrestling on Sunday night, I'd rather it be eight hours of things I'm interested in and not eight hours of just sitting and, you know, being sad about the stuff that I don't really care about at this point. There's so much. I mean, I am not watching eight hours of that fucking shit. I'm telling you right now. Anyone expecting a, a big Omakase WrestleMania review, It's that's not happening, especially after all the shows I'm going to before that Sunday. Like, I might watch, like, I might turn it on here and there and, like, watch parts of it, but I'm not sitting through an eight-hour, 16-match show. It's just, it's just not happening. So, you know, more power to you if you love WWE. If you are so fucking pumped to watch all eight hours, you know, thumbs up. I hope you have a good time. But it's not for not for me at this point. Um, but, yeah, the champion card. I just want to point that out because I'm, I, I am going to try to watch, if not all of it, then almost all of it, and I have no idea how I'm going to catch up on immediately being behind the eight ball. I might try to, like, sneak it in like during the weekend, maybe like try to watch a little bit on Friday since I'm only going to start them on Friday as of now. Maybe try to watch a little bit on Sunday since I'm only, I'm not going to anything on Sunday except I'll, I have a, my friend has a birthday party on Sunday. I just realized, but try to sneak it in there. It's not, we'll see. Um, just bring your phone to Laboom and, and put it on while, <laughs> you know, like uh, some silly match is happening. Yes, Gabe and company will love that. Just walk out. I'm sitting in the sitting in the I think in the third row and I'll just be like looking at my phone watching all Japan. But yes, yeah, so there you go. That's the champion carnival. We we already did like a little mini preview the recently, so uh hopefully you'll you can check that out. Okay, so the last promotion we're gonna talk about today is DDT. They have their March twenty first into the fight twenty nineteen Cork and Hall show. It did a announced one thousand four hundred and thirty three fans. Really not a bad number considering the main event was uh you know an extreme title comedy match, but no no open weight title match at all. So um but yeah, so it opened up with the undermatch, Sunma Katsumata defeating Mizuki Watase with the Casadora foot stomp in five forty two. This is pretty fun for like a five minute undercard match. I really like this actually. Yeah, I thought it was I, I thought it was fine, quick and short and yeah. Yeah. Uh, then the real opener, Bull James, Kota Emeda, and Naomi Yoshimura defeated Tetsuya Endo, Mad Polly, and Nobuhiro Shimatani from Damnation. Uh, James pinned Shimatani with the Doink Drop in 1449. So everything not involving Bull James was good. Everything involving Bull James was fucking terrible. So it's hard to rate this match because I, I really liked it before Bull James tagged in. I thought it was really, really fun stuff. And, you know, Ameda was, like, kicking the shit out of people. And Endo had a really good a hot tag. And then Bull tagged in, and the match just fucking ground to a complete halt and just was garbage from that point on. Um, so there you go. It was a, a tale of two matches here. I mean, look, so usually big fat guys in wrestling are great, but Bull is fucking terrible. I mean, he's just really bad. So 
he's, he's he's somehow worse than I remember in NXT, and I remember him not being that good in NXT. Yeah. Um, he's just a big guy who every move he hits looks like you're being hit by a feather. <laughs> like nothing looks tough. You're just like, oh, this is a wrestler pretending to, you know, have a lot of strength. Um, I I don't know how it, I don't know how he's done on the smaller house shows. Um, if people have liked him, I know on one show he did um, go on the Fox with with Honda. Yeah. Um, but to me, ba- I mean, it's just one match. But based on this, boy, I would get him out of there as you know ASAP. Yeah, I mean, no one DET fans when he was announced were not happy, and he did not do anything to to dispel that notion. So, match number two, a miraculous ending. Goodbye, Michael. Till we meet again, <laughs> Michael Nakazawa send off match. So it started out as Shinshiro Takagi, Masa Takanashi, Tomomitsu Matsunaga. Keisuke Okuda and Hiroshi Yamato against Michael Nakazawa. And it ended when Yamato pinned Nakazawa with the sliding axe in 18 seconds. Um, first of all, there was, an a- there was a big AEW chant to start, which I thought was funny. Um, but yeah, so then we had a restart. And Nakazawa was like, basically, like, you know, you can't let me leave like that. And the crowd was like, really? We don't really care. <laughs> we do. And they, they got the restart, and Okuda immediately submitted. Well, first Yamato hit the sliding axe again and almost pinned him again. But he kicked out, and then he got, and then uh, Okuda slapped the armbar on and got the win in 25 seconds. That was really funny. And then Michael was Michael actually like took the mic at this point and was like, "Why the fuck is it one on five? I can barely win when it's one on one." And they were like, "Okay, good point." So they made a three on three match with Nakazawa, uh, Masa Takanashi, and Matsunaga against Takagi, Okuda, and Yamato. And Nakazawa pinned Takagi at the Michael Slam in 850. But yeah, I mean, it, this was fun for what it was. I mean, it's you know, it was comedy based around Michael Nakazawa. What do you can't really expect much else than what you got here? Um, during the during this, I think during the match at one point, Nakazawa took a stunner from Takagi and nearly <laughs> flipped over, <laughs> like he fell on his neck somehow. Yes. Um, and then after, we'll talk about this later. But after the main event, he did it again and did it even crazier like nearly did a full flip off of it and i was like whoa what is going on um you know but it's a you know a comedy match didn't overstay its welcome it was pretty short obviously two of the three matches were about a combined 45 seconds um but i had fun i liked it you know it kind of um was part one of the story they told with the nakazawa departure, retirement, fake out. Mm-hmm, indeed. So, match number three, the, the Hero to Dance is the best. No, it's the Pro Wrestling Exercise special six-man tag team match. Uh, Makoto Oishi, Antonio Honda, and Asuka defeating Toru Washi, Kazuki Hirata, and Saki Akai uh, when Oishi pinned her Hirata with a cradle at 8.27. So, basically, they had this guy... Um, you know, the Furutsuki Kamen, who developed this pro wrestling exercise thing. Um, and they, they had this big debate over whether Hirata's dance was better or that thing. You know, wasn't the easiest thing to follow without translations, but 
basically, I don't. They were mad at each other or something. Hirata destroyed his took his mask before before the match. So like, we got like a little video of that, and the match was kind of just everybody ganging up on Hirata first, as usually happens. Um, there was a guy on the Fox story, you know, the usual stuff, and then. Awashi countered with his own God the Fox, and they like made the God the Foxes kiss, and they were actually going to kiss, like the two of them. But there was something going on with, uh, like, like Hirata and the aerobics guy at the same time, like they were about to kiss or something, and the match kind of like took a weird turn. But then Hirata got pinned because you know, of course he did. So then he he basically let the aerobics guy do his thing. Pokotan came out. Uh, you know, for this, and then all of Corrigan Hall did this wacky aerobics thing, which is quite the image. But there you go, it's DDT, and Oscar was in the back during the exercises, like losing it, but <laughs> uh, like laughing so hard. Yes, and I think he turned around to her and he was like, "Stop laughing, we're exercising," or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, very a very DDT match. Good to see Pokotan back after he was decapitated um, in his in his prior appearance <laughs> in the company. So his debut, his debut, yes, but uh, yes, his debut, his previous appearance, he was he was, I guess, I don't know, it, was he killed? I guess uh, is is taking his head off, killing him, or maybe not. I guess not, because he's fucking. <laughs> Unless he was risen from the dead, and maybe he's a zombie. Uh, after that, we had an amazing video package for the next match, which was like an extended package of Gota Hashi being terrible. <laughs> Ricky Chosu's <laughs> produced show when he teamed up with Chosu and Ibushi in the main event. And a, a pack then the package showed Chosu getting mad at him for how bad he was, and then it turned into you know, an extended Godahashi training montage set to rap music, and it was fucking awesome. So that was really cool. And we got to the actual match, Ricky Choshu, Katsusada Higuchi, and Yuki Ueno against Kudo, Yuki Sakaguchi, and Godahashi. Higuchi pinned Ihashi with the Dr. Bomb in 926. Um, they, they may just wait a while for the Choshu-Ihashi confrontation, so the crowd went really nuts when he finally got it. Um, but yeah, Chosu kicked his ass as you'd expect, but then that got Gota fired up and he was able to like beat up Reno when he tagged in. Um, and then at one, at one point Chosu just came in with no tag at all and absolutely murdered poor Gota with a lariat, which is really, really funny. But that led to the finish right after. This was really fun while it lasted. What'd you think? Yeah. The best part was Chosu just coming in during a uh, moment when he had not been tagged in. Cause I'm not even sure that that's what was supposed to happen. Yeah. Cause it seemed like, I think Higuchi got tagged in and Higuchi came in and was sort of like, Oh, what, what's happening? And just sort of stood to the side as it happened. Um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, I don't know, maybe that maybe there's more to the story or maybe that wasn't the point that, it was sort of like, well, Higuchi beat Ahashi, and that's sort of that. Yeah, they they've said something like maybe Gota impressed him at least, but they didn't really, it didn't really go anywhere else. Yeah, because uh, I think after, after the match, Kudo and Sakaguchi said, "Oh, don't wouldn't you say that at least you're impressed with him?" And he didn't respond or or he ignored <laughs> them. 
and then match number five, the KOD six-man tag team titles, Meiko Satomura, Das Chizako, and Chihiro Hashimoto from Sendai Girls, defeating Konosuke Takashita, Akito, and Yuki Ino. Uh, Hashimoto pinned Ino at the Albright in 1534, and all out failed in V3, which makes Sendai Girls the 38th six-man tag team champions. Why don't you start, Taylor? What do you think of this one? I love this. I went four and a four and a fourth, which I think might be this might be either the same or maybe a quarter star below what I gave the last um, Sendai Girls six man challenge. Also the same rating I gave this. So um, I thought it was really great, super fun. Um, I think made everyone, all six people in the match, look really good. Um, I love all you know really all six of these competitors. So I was really happy for this match. Um, yeah, I just thought it was, I thought it was super fun, fast paced, you know, quick action, but also there were, you know, the moments when Hashimoto's picking people up and, you know, suplexing them and dumping them on their head, which was really fun. And Shizako I think is really great. And obviously Satomura is Satomura. Um, so I loved it, and I was really happy that they won, too, because I think that that's going to be a really fun um, – I think that they can do a lot of fun things with that with the title reign. I, I liked how they paired up uh, Chihiro with Eno, which was really cool. It was like, yeah, Eno's taller, but she's big and thick, too. And, you know, they, they have him, like, do shoulder blocks and everything. It was really cool little exchange. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the, after the match, when Saki Akai came out of the challenge, I did, like, a little fist pump, and I might be the only one on Earth who was that excited. But I loved Saki Akai's exchanges with Mako in the past, where and, and Mako was also, by the way, very excited at the prospect of fighting Saki Akai. I think she even said something like, you know, this is what I want. I want to, like, develop her or something, which, you know, it's a little weird out of context but I, I get what she means. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a... Uh, so Saki Akai basically was like, I didn't realize that women could challenge for this title. I thought it was just a men thing. So, but now you've inspired me, so I'm going to put my team together. So we don't know who her partner's going to be, but we'll see. I assume it'll be for Corkin next month, at the end of April. But yeah, that'll be... I'm excited for that. That'll be cool. Uh, and then the KOD tag team titles, Daisuke Sasaki and Soma Takao defeating... Mike Bailey and Mao when Soma pinned Mao at the Gin and Tonic in 14.52. So Moonlight Express fail in their V4, and Damnation become the 66 champions. I thought this was really good as well. Um, you know, for a while, it just felt like very good, but not quite grabbing me on that next level. Maybe also having to follow the last match heard it, but like right after I tweeted that, it like hit the next level, you know, especially the crazy Mao and Soma finishing sequence. Um, and they even made what, what I'm pretty sure was a botch, like, kind of work for them, which really isn't that easy to do. So, yeah, I went four stars on this. I thought it was awesome. Uh, but, yeah, very good tight title match. And I think we'll probably get a rematch at some point, and I think they can even top this. But what do you think, Taylor? Yeah, I was right. Same with you, four stars. It felt a little bit, um, you know, obviously I thought it was pretty good, four stars. But it felt a little bit like their match at Judgment's where I just sort of wish they would have gone a little bit more because I think they probably could have gone even higher um, with it if they would have had a little bit more time. Um, you know, I really like Mao and Mike Bailey, so I'm a little bit disappointed that they lost, although I'm wondering if 
maybe something happens mania weekend and cause aren't Sasaki and Takao both in New York. Yeah. But Bailey won't be there. No, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying they take oh. the title off Bailey because he obviously can't go yeah. um, to the States. I don't know if maybe they put together a tag title defense there in the States. Well, they're, I don't they're know. Maybe. Booked, but I don't know. But yeah. I don't know. Um, there was one moment when Sasaki did an upkick to, I think Mao as he was coming off the top rope. That looked really crazy. Yeah. Um, which I was like, whoa, but you know, I found it, I found it fun. I wish, you know, especially considering, you know, the next match was comedy that I don't think going an extra five minutes, you wouldn't have been like, Oh, you know, now we've got to follow that tag match. I don't know if we'll be able to do it. Cause they're two totally different styles of matches. Yeah. Um, so I, I might've, I might, I would have liked to see what would have happened with a few extra minutes, but other than that, I thought it was, it, I thought it was good. Yeah, I agree. Um, and after the match, there was an amazing little moment where, like, so Sasaki had been teasing that he was going to, like, stay in America, you know, and just leave DET forever. So after the match was over, he said, well, it's going to be one of the titles, but I'm leaving for America now, so I have to leave DDT and Damnation behind. And he leaves the ring, and then uh, Yoshi, you know, Nobu grabs, he grabs the mic, at Nobuhiro Shimatani, and says, uh, Christmas going overseas? Well, I'm the second leader of Damnation, Nobu. And you can see everybody in the background looks very upset by this turn of events. And then Sasaki runs back out, nails no, nails Shibatani, grabs the mic again, says, I heard the people needing me, so I'm back. I am the third leader of Damnation, Daisuke Sasaki. And Endo in the background is especially, like, very, very happy to have Sasaki back. Just thought it was a funny little moment. So for those keeping score at home, Sasaki is now the first and the third leader of Damnation. And Nobuhiro was the second leader for like, I guess, three seconds. <laughs> like literally three or four seconds. Um, after that, we had the main event, the DDT Extreme title. So they took um, they took suggestions from Japanese fans on the rules, which was under hashtag, I thought of the extreme rules, apparently. Um, but it was best two out of three falls. The first fall was red light, green light, <laughs> which was really funny. Uh, Muscle Sakai defeated Hiroshima. Basically, it was like every time you would get caught moving when the, the woman start, stopped her chant, you would have to, um, you know, you would lose a point, And whoever loses three points first is the loser of the fall. But the, the woman really did not like Hiroshima because she kept doing the, um, she kept doing the quick chant as Hiroshima was like on offense and he got caught by that twice, basically, um, you know, the, the, during the Samato for the last one. And that, that gave, that gave muscle Sakai the first fall. The second fall was a telephone death match where they both, they both have a phone on their ear and if the phone leaves their ear for longer than three seconds, they lose. So that was really fucking funny. I thought that was like, even funnier than the red light, green light match. And at first they were talking to each other on the phone, which again was really funny. And you could hear it like over the, the loud, the, the announce, you know, the cork and speakers. And, but then at one point, somehow Michael Nakazawa was on the call too. And Michael Nakazawa, you know, starts talking to them about how, you know, he has a problem. And it's like, well, what is the problem? And he starts talking about how, you know, my friend, created a run i have this these two friends you know and 
one friend created a wrestling promotion in America for for all of us to work together, but the other doesn't want us to leave Japan. Doesn't want to leave Japan. And Hiroshima is like Kenny and Abushi, right? <laughs> Which is just like, yes, obviously that's who he was talking about. So I thought it was really funny that that became the the whole Abushi not leaving New Japan thing became a run a joke here. Um, but yeah, so Hiroshima ended up winning the second fall via a botched Michael Nakazawa run-in. And then the third and final fall was you to make your opponent pin you to win. This I didn't think was just funny because, like, really, it just ended up being kind of a standard match where, you know, instead of pinning, instead of going for pins, you're you're putting your, the other guy on top, and they just kick out by like not pinning you anymore. So this was like the most normal wrestling match overall, uh, and Hiroshima ended up winning in four twenty five and retained the title. But overall, very funny. It's great seeing Mosasakai in like a big spot here, and great seeing like an extreme title comedy match as the main. So I, was, I, I like this a lot. I really liked it too. Um, you know, there was controversy in the first match because it looked like Hiroshima moved. Yes, that's right. He was counted as safe, and that's why I think the announcer then did the quick, <laughs> um, the quick one right at the end because people started booing when it was determined that he was safe. Yeah. Um, the second match... The, well, the, the, the crowd wanted us to kind of win this anyway. Yeah. So. The um, the funniest part of the second match for me was at one point they were both on the phone. They were talking on the phone, and at one point, like Hiroshima went for a like a spinning toe hold, and Sakai just kind of like was like okay, and like laid down on the mat, and then Hiroshima sort of laid down on top of him. It looked like almost in a movie if you were to cut to the bedroom of like high school teens who are talking on the phone to someone and they're just kind of hanging out sitting, you know, they were obviously talking about this personal drama with Michael Nakazawa. Um, So I thought that was really funny. I liked the last fall, the last match uh, more than you. I found it a funny image to, you know, it looks like a standard match, but every time you go to count to three, the wrong person in your, you know, mentally, you think, oh, the wrong person is moving. What's going on? <laughs> and I like the creative ways that they tried to get each other to, um, you know, be pinned, especially the one at the end with, with Sakai kind of fading, you know, very dizzy. And it looks like he's going to fall, but, you know, they're not sure he's going to fall. So I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so very good show overall. I mean, I really, really enjoyed this show. I don't know if you disagree. It doesn't sound like you would disagree. Yeah, I thought it was a really fun. I I thought it was a really fun show. Yeah. So what's coming up from here is we have a couple title matches on uh, March thirty first. We have the the final show at Akata Star Lanes. Um, the KOD Openweight Title will be on the line with Takashida defending against Jiro Ikemenkurusho from now from X from Wrestle One. So. Well, still technically in Wrestle One until April third. Yeah, but um, soon to be soon to be ex Wrestle One. Yes, and there's also a, a on the Tokyo Joshi Pro Show earlier that day in Akata, uh, Miyu Yamashita is defending her title against Yuka Sakazaki. So that'll be interesting too to see if there's a title change there. And there's still three anytime anywhere bracelets out there. Um, they're held by Tetsuya Endo, 
uh, Yoshihiko and Kota Omeda. So we'll see if any of them cash in or if any of them, you know, lose their bracelets between now and New York. I, I have a theory, which I talked about in the DET written preview that hasn't gone up yet. Since there's no title match in the show right now, I think it's a lock that someone's cashing in there to give them a New York title defense. I think they're going to cash in after the main event, and I think it'll be Yoshihiko. Like, I think because the doll, the blow-up doll has gone viral in the U.S. before, I think they're going to have the doll get its title shot in America. Yeah, I've, I have the same feeling. I mean, currently, I don't know if Umeda could lose his, but he's the only person of the three not booked for New York, but I figure that it it wouldn't be Endo. Uh, they probably wouldn't put that match on the top of a New York show for 400 people. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it would work to me. It certainly would probably get people talking. So I, I'm all for it because, as you know, we'll be there. We'll be there. So I'd love to see it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we'll see what happens there, I guess. Um, any other final thoughts on, like, what you're looking forward to for DT and for the New York show since the full card's been out for a while? I mean, I think the whole show's going to be good. I think it's going to probably be one of the better – shows of the weekend which uh, might be a low bar but you know i have a i have a feeling that no matter what it's probably going to speak to the people who like ddt and the people who don't like ddt will not like it whether it's good or bad so um you know i would recommend it if you're going to new york i would say that would be a big recommendation for me to check out the show i feel like they have a really good mix of sort of everything that they offer sort of throughout the year condensed into one show. Um, and we talked about earlier about New Japan and the, you know, the way that they book their U.S. shows. And obviously this is DDT's first show, maybe their only show for the foreseeable future in the U.S. So they have a little bit of a different um, perspective and priority. But I think that they've put a lot of really high-end matches on the show, which I'm really happy about as someone who will be there. Yeah, I'm pretty excited too. So there you go. And I think there's plenty of good stuff on that card. I'm very excited to be in the front row too. Uh, Very cool stuff. And let's go ahead and get into the questions then. Got actually a whole bunch of them after. I was worried at first, the first call, but the last call of them, there were a lot of questions. Let me scroll all the way down here. Uh, okay. The first question from at Cakes Midwest: Will the Damnation tag reign be a long or short one? I'm loving the two, them two as a team. I think it'll probably be shorter. It's my opinion. I think it feels like a the kind of reign that'll only go a few months at most. But I agree. I like the two of them as a team a lot. It seems like that's sort of been the way the tag titles are going, where it feels like there's been a lot of switches within the past six months or so it feels like there's been at least three or four switches i would have to go back and look exactly um and like i said maybe it's something where you know they do something in new york and the reason they switch them is because they've got both the damnation guys going to new york and they come back and maybe the title switch back i don't know if that is the case um but yeah, I think it'll probably be on the shorter end because that seems to be the pattern of the title currently. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's the next question from App Brother Mort. An update on the latest YMZ shows, please. All right. This is all me. The people are demanding this, John. One there's person. Multiple, there's multiple people in your mentions demanding <laughs> YMZ. Uh, YMZ is doing great as always, of course. Um, anyone who wants to can sign up. They have their own streaming service at, um, I don't know how you pronounce it, filmwe, F-I-L-M-U-Y.com slash YMZ. Uh, it is, of course, the typical $9.99 a month uh, or so, depending on the uh, conversion. They put up their shows, and actually they subtitle all of their shows now, which is really helpful for YMZ because some of what happens on YMZ can be quite um, confusing. For example, at the most recent show that took place uh, about a week and a half ago, um, Kaori um, transformed into Jaori, uh, the snake man, because uh, she was teaming with uh, Poison... Uh, Poison Sawada Julie. Poison Julie Sawada. Which Poison one Sawada is it? Sawada Julie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were teaming in the main event. Um, and the next at the next event, the, the snake curse, I guess you could call it, will be transferring to uh, Makoto, who will be transforming into Jakoto. Um, and Makoto actually has been in the undercard her mother i think it is has been accompanying her to the ring and um, running interference during her matches for example uh, she had a match with asuka and during the match um, makoto's mother got in the ring and said oh asuka your hair is uh, out of place look in this little hand mirror and fix your hair and then she's been choking people with, I think, a piece of celery or some kind of root vegetable. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. As I said, they have um, English translations on all the show, which is helpful. And they're sort of they have their own charm because they're not exact um, translations uh, all the time. So there's a little bit of fun there. But. You know, the shows, they put up about two or three shows a month, and the shows are only about 50 minutes to an hour, so you can get through two or three in a night if you want. Uh, it's a lot of fun, so I highly recommend uh, you check it out. All right, very cool. Uh, and then up next from TJ, he says, "How a former guest TJ, how do you think Ecommen would fare in DDT, or do you think it's a given he's working more overseas from now on? Well, I think we've seen how he fared because he was in the um, KOD Grand Prix last year, and I thought he did very well. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people who don't like his in-ring work, but I think it's actually rather strong, and he's still very young, so he obviously has room to grow. Um, I would like to see him stay in Japan just due to the fact that I – I just have a strange gut feeling that he would anywhere he goes in the States, he would just die because I don't trust any company in the States to do anything of any worth with really anyone at this point. Um, so 
you know, I'd prefer him to stay in Japan where I know he can have good matches. He's had them before, but, you know, if he wants to go around the world, then certainly I'll continue to seek out his matches. But, you know, I've I've gotten to the point, and I think that this WrestleMania weekend with the cards that are out sort of shows that getting over new talent is no longer the strength of the American indie wrestling system. Boy, is that true. Um, so I think someone like that who also in an American system could very easily and quickly be boiled down into sort of a one trick pony gimmick. Um, I talked about, you know, initially when he said he was leaving Wrestle One, there was some rumor that he wanted to go to the biggest company in America, which you would think would be um, just size wise and money wise would be WWE. And it reminds me a lot of, I thought that the path in WWE for him would be a little bit like Ty Dillinger were sort of the base of the gimmick. You know, Ty Dillinger had the 10 thing and people would chant 10, 10, 10. Um, that in something like NXT, probably the funny aspects, the kind of humorous aspects of um, Ikemen would probably get over, you know, the not getting in the ring at the start of the match. But I just can see him, you know, he gets over, he comes up, has a funny entrance in the Royal Rumble, and then just totally disappears. Mm. Um, so I hope he avoids that route, but... If he does it, I'll certainly support him and keep watching his matches. Um, yeah, I don't know. I hope he doesn't go to WWE. <laughs> That's about all I can say, for God's sake. At Private Eyeball, my question is, hey, how are you two doing today? Or just a, how are you two today? I don't want to misquote him. I'm good. <laughs> I, don't know. I um, saw a really good wrestling match, so that's cool. <laughs> I'm good. I have a um, a lot of work coming up at work this week so it's one of those weekends where you sort of pre-stress mm. uh, about what's going to happen <laughs> which See, you is... know i i think my job should finally be calm this week after like a bunch of weeks in a row but i thought that last week and last week was still awful so who knows yeah but it's one of those things where you sort of pre-stress and you're like why am i stressing about this there's really no point <laughs> because there's nothing i can do at this point but it's just i think human nature uh, yeah. but other than that i'm good you know, uh, watched some good wrestling uh, this past weekend and week, and probably will watch some uh, later tonight after we finish this podcast. Uh, what are you gonna watch? Um, I don't. I actually might watch Russell One because I'm a little bit behind and I want to catch up. And I think that's the promotion I have the most shows to catch up on. Mm. Um, but I'm keeping this sort of glad that that now New Japan Cup is over, so I might be able to spend the next week before Mania starts. I'm catching up on some stuff that I fell behind on. Yeah. So there's no more new, no more new Japan for a while. So if you're sick of them, you're not gonna. At least you get a couple weeks off. Um, yeah, I'm excited too because I have next weekend in two weeks. Obviously, WrestleMania weekend, but next week is a real main event, the Sailor Moon Super Live. So obviously, very excited for that. Uh, Connor at Inoki was right. If Wrestle One was to shut down. Shut down. Where would you send their top guys? That's a cool question. Um, I mean, I would love to see Shotaro Ashino. I think he could go almost anywhere, but I think he would be awesome in all Japan as like another like top heavyweight. I think that would be like a perfect spot for him. And then he could also 
I don't know. I, maybe even just as like a freelance guy that works some different places because I I really want to see him against Hideki. I think that'd be a great match, but I don't really want to see him in Big Japan long term because I, I don't know if that's the best fit otherwise. So I think his best fit overall was All Japan to be like another top heavyweight, but that's where I think I would send him. Do you have any ideas for for uh, Ashino? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would send him to All Japan, especially now that they're looking for sort of that one B person with you know the talk about Jake Lee. I think Ashino has been for a few years now massively underrated. Now partially because he wrestles in a promotion that doesn't get a lot of eyeballs, um, but I think he's exceptionally talented and really could go a lot of different places and succeed. Um, he's someone certainly of their upper level um, guys is the one person that I have confidence could probably go anywhere and do very well because I think he's just that talented. Um, but yeah. I think the fit, I think that all for all Japan, he would be a big asset. I think Manabu Soya and Masuki Kono, I would send them both to both to big Japan. Cause I just have this feeling they would fit in as like grumpy older guys, you know? And I think they could have some good matches with some of the guys who've been there a while. So I think they could also go to Noah. I think they might be interesting, mm. interesting in Noah as well. Yeah. Um, For Noah, I was going to say, I was going to say the Noah junior division could use some new people. So I would say like Yusuke Kodama, um, you know, like, I don't know about, about Yoshioka, maybe not Yoshioka. Cause he's got the, the strong hearts tie now, but definitely Kodama. Isn't that actually, isn't he already leaving Yoshioka? Now I think about it. Is, about... is he? I thought I heard maybe, that. I maybe I, heard... I missed that. I don't know. Maybe I, I certainly could have missed it. And he started doing a lot more outside stuff. So yeah. I can certainly believe, you know, if that's the case that Koji Doi, I would send to Koji Doi would send to Noah. Actually. I think he could be a good, like young heavyweight there. Um, and they could desperately need young heavyweights. So, um, but yeah, I'm not really, not about other people are jumping out at me, but yeah, maybe Inaba for the same reason, Becky Inaba. I mean, Genseki Tanaka is a young guy who he's not one of their top stars, so it's, he's not going to go anywhere and make an immediate difference, but I think he has a good future. He's only 25, so I think he could probably fit in a lot of, to a lot of different promotions and, and grow and develop, so I don't have a specific one in mind for him, but I think he's another one like Ashino that could go probably a few places and be an asset. Uh, up next from PPP Pinandrew, Jay White's championship run has the momentum of a, of a runaway freight train. Why is he so popular? Well, you, all floor is yours, Taylor. Uh, oh, I was going to say, you want to take this? <laughs> um Look, this gives me a good transition, though. So I had a guy uh, from Twitter last week who was very mad at my opinions in general on, on, on pretty much anything, but he apparently said the last straw for him was the way I completely buried Jay White and, you know, trashed Jay White and talked all this shit about Jay White. And I'm thinking in my head, like, when the fuck have I ever buried Jay White on this show? And I, I said that. I was like, I don't remember ever burying Jay White. And he was like, do you listen to your own show? I'm like, I I do, and I don't remember ever burying Jay White. Not only do I usually listen back to it, not every week, honestly, but most weeks, but I also record the fucking thing, 
So I think I'd remember if I buried Jay White. And then finally, I was like, you know, I remember saying I was Jay White agnostic. Like, I don't have a strong opinion for or against Jay White. He just kind of exists to me. And he was like, that's what I'm talking about. He's <laughs> like, that was the last straw for me watching, uh, for me listening to Omakase. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, that's not really... Like, I'm sorry, Taylor. Do you think that is a burial of wrestler saying you are agnostic on said wrestler and don't feel strongly about them either positively or negatively? Because I don't really think that's a burial, but maybe. Well, no, I don't think it's a burial either (laughs) because I'm sort of agnostic on Sonata, which we talked about earlier, and that was not meant as a burial. Yeah, why do you hate him, Taylor? God damn it. No, Um... No, but I probably am on the upper side of Jay White fans i just wish at this point he could he had a match that he could sort of hang his hat on as a look i can i can do it and because i feel like you know his more popular matches are sort of okay maybe four and a fourth you know four stars i wish he could get a four and three fourths now that the juice robinson match was pretty good yeah um, at at that u.s show but yeah. I just wish there was some match where he would go out and maybe that's the MSG match. Maybe that match they come out and it's, you know, an incredible match and that's the match to sort of hang his hat on. But when people, you know, say, oh, I don't like Jay White, um, you know, with other wrestlers, sometimes you can say, well, have you seen XYZ match? Maybe that would change your mind. And with Jay White, that sort of match doesn't come to mind immediately. Now, maybe it does exist and I'm not thinking of it right now, but that's to me, the biggest thing is that he hasn't clicked into sort of the upper tier in terms of in-ring stuff for me. I agree. Um, I think he's settled into the character well after there were some sort of bumps in the road initially, but now I'm just waiting for him to um, sort of get that, comfort in the ring and maybe i mean who knows maybe that only comes when he you know becomes a baby face which i'm sure is going to happen at some point down the road um maybe that's just a style he's more comfortable in but we'll we'll have to wait and see but i don't think you know i think some people think oh it's been a disaster it's been totally yeah yeah. the worst and i certainly don't think that i had to interject here did you see that tweet i dunked on the other day where it was like I think that Meltzer said what guy on Twitter was like, yes. oh, oh, Jay, this JY rate has been such a disaster creatively and financially. And Gato has to go hat and ham back to Tanahashi and Okada to save the company. I'm like, New Japan is like selling out every fucking show they book before they announce a fucking card. Like they sell out Corkin every single time before they announce a card. They, you know, they have, they sold out the New Japan Cup finals you know, well in advance. Uh, if you look at next month, they they are before there's any, anything announced. They have the first two most expensive uh, seat categories gone already for the big show in Nagoya. The top three for Dontaku Night Two already gone, and this is they've had Jenner on sale for like five days. Um, I mean, like they sell a lot of tickets. Okay, New Beginning in in uh, in Osaka and and New Beginning in Sapporo did better than last year which already was doing the best in seven years. So, like, there is there is no argument that the Jay White reign or the, um, you know, New Japan booking in general, whatever the fuck you want to spin it as, has, like, killed the cra- audiences in Japan. Like, that's just factually not true. If you want to say it's bad, 
And this, I think, is always something that wrestling Twitter is really bad at in general. And I try to, you know, I try to be the same way and point out when I think, like, look, I don't think it's breaking news to anybody that I'm not the biggest elite fan. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of those guys. But I would never be like, the elite are not draws at all in America. They are not, they are not draws. They don't draw at all. Because it's just not fucking true. I mean, they draw very well in, in the U.S. And they've done it on two different shows now. Where, so if, you're, if you want to say you think New Japan, you know, fucking sucks, that's, that's whatever. That's your opinion. But if you're going to say, well, this gay white brain has been a disaster and New Japan booking has killed the company and they're not drawing any fans, like that's just not factually true. So you cannot, like, I'm not going to go out here and be like, well, you know, WWE, like the stock price is just in the toilet. You know, the company's about to go under. It's like, that's not true. I And I, everybody knows, again, I don't like WWE, but I would never tweet something that is so obviously not true. So people like, just read something back before you tweet it sometimes and like think maybe, you know, am I asserting something that is very easily disproven by like a very simple lookup of cage match and comparing numbers? Cause people will do that to you and you'll look fucking stupid. So, there you well, go. well, and I also think we're talking about the first title reign of someone. And if you look back, it isn't like every first title reign in New Japan is an automatic, the great, you know. Yeah. They're having every greatest match ever. I mean, you talk about, I mean, Naito had a short first reign. Okada. Um, Okada, same thing. So it isn't like you're in a company where a person wins a belt for the first time and then they are, you know, having the greatest reign of all time. Yeah. Because that's not, that's not the way it happens really with most people. Most people it takes, you know, a couple – a couple go rounds for both um, sort of in ring growth, but also sometimes it's a storyline thing. And I think a lot of this Jay White stuff is storyline driven. Um, so we're, we're talking know. a long time about a, yes. a joke, a joke question, but yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So up next uh, from at Lost in Comedy 89, who should dethrone Kento Miyahara and when? Um, I don't. Do you have a thought on this? Um, <laughs> I was hoping you had an answer because I'm a little more eh. I don't really have a strong opinion. I think, like, if I try to think of what will happen, I think Jake Lee's going to win the carnival and beat him. Um, what I think should happen, I I think it should be Jake Lee. Probably, I think you should try it at least, even if. You know, you're not, like, as high on Jake Lee as other people. But maybe he, they should try, like, towards the end of the year. Maybe they should let Kento retain again against whoever wins the carnival and make it, like, a fall thing. I think that would probably have a better chance of success. Because you risk, like, turning people off. I mean, when's the last time someone won the carnival and then won the title? It's been a long time. Like, not since Kento did it, right? Two, a couple of years ago? And, and it's, pretty, just... it's pretty rare in this era. I mean, it seems like no matter what our opinion is the answer is it's going to be Jake Lee at some point because they have to try it now and see if they have anything. Um, I mean, would you agree with that? It just feels like any other answer is sort of fantasy booking at this point, because I think that that's unless someone really pops out 
you know, in the champion carnival and all of a sudden people get really behind them and they're a big hit. It just feels like that's the way the sort of like, that's the, that's the cards they've been dealt. And so now you got to play them unless you go out and you find someone, you know, unless you go to Ikaminjiro and you say, Hey, come in, but I don't even think he's that guy either. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Lee's sort of the answer because that's the way the whole company seems to be aiming um, in the past few months and moving into the future. Yeah, I agree. Um, Hector at AAEO, is EK Men winning? I assume he means the KRD title, and I would say no, he is not. I would also say he is not. <laughs> Uh, Beth at Love Songwriter with Sonata's run in the New Japan Cup do you see this as a sign of more movement of guys now and pushing up the card and who do you personally see going further in New Japan, Sonata or Evil? Well the first part of that question, I mean they clearly do need to move people up since they lost people um, and they did they did move Jay White up I guess um, I don't know if you really can call it what they did with Ibushi moving him up, but the short answer is yes, I do think they're going to move some people up and you know, maybe we'll get the Shingo heavyweight reign uh, or heavyweight run. Maybe we'll, I mean, they're moving Will Ospreay up clearly, much much to my personal dismay, but they are doing that. So, yes, I do think that's, we're in like a 2016 situation where they're, they're moving people up to replace the people who have left. But I would say that th- this is the pattern of the New Japan Cup every year. Oh, is, yeah, someone, is someone who, you know, last year it was Sabre, who I don't think many people expected. Um, now, obviously, Okada won, but Sonata got close. But I think that this is every year, you know, someone who's not at the top of the game. I mean, I think the people who are at or near the top win the G1. They don't win the new Japan Cup now. Okada won it this year because you have a little bit of a special circumstance of the MSG show. But the story was um, Sonata getting to the final. But that's another it's another one where someone you don't expect And it's why sometimes predicting the New Japan Cup is so hard because the answer is, well, you have to sort of look into the crystal ball and figure out who, um, you know, Gato wants to move up. And sometimes that's hard to predict and will probably only become harder in a field of 32 people. I always thought it was going to be Sonata this year, though. I picked him to go to the final and lose to Okada. Yeah, I did as as well because, you know, you also have to look at the – matches and figure out, you know, they don't want to give away every marquee match. And I thought moving Sonata through would give you um, sort of good matches, but you're not giving away too much. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, but that's what I see New Japan Cup as a chance to, you know, move people up, see what they have on some of these guys. And that seems to be what they do just about every year. And then the second part of our question, um, you know, who do you personally see going further in New Japan? I I know a lot of people would say Evil, and I, I get why, because Evil is the dojo product and all that. I'm the, you know, I'm I'm sounding like the biggest Sonata apologist of all time lately. But like I think people are really discounting how popular he is in Japan. I think they're discounting how that like 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 uh you know what's the word I'm looking for? like that goth idol image, how popular that is in Japan. And I just think like, 
I definitely see, like, I could see, a, a, you know, this being as far as not it gets, maybe. You know, maybe he he doesn't get much farther than this as a single. But I can see a universe where he, I mean, he's still really young, too, which I don't think people realize. Like, I think he just turned 30. Let me say, I'm going to check this because I'm curious. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's 30. He just turned 31. So he's still pretty much, pretty on the young side compared to the jazz, the, a lot of the top heavyweights. Like, you know, Naito's in his, you know, late 30s. Abushi's in his late 30s. I mean, they're going to have to move people up eventually. I think this was like the start of it for Sonata. Evil, I think, could get far too. But, you know, I do think, I mean, my pick actually is Sonata. But I'm curious what you think. I think Evil has a higher, I think he has a higher floor, but a lower ceiling. And I think that Sonata has a higher ceiling, but a lower floor. Like if you said to me in two years, well, they both um, sort of never got there. I would think that probably Evil would be able to be, I think in that case, you're saying, well, Evil is probably more success, but I mean, I think Sonata has the tools. As you say, he's still young and things could certainly, you know, as we've discussed that I'm, you know, not huge into them, but I mean, we're talking about things. Obviously I gave the match four and a fourth uh, today. So it's not as if I'm sitting there going, Oh, this match is two stars. He's terrible. I, I just think there's a few things that need to click into place sort of with both of them. I don't know how much the gimmick of evil will, hold him back in the case of a bigger push. Like, I don't know that I would ever see him holding the IWGP heavyweight title while he comes out with the scythe and, you know, he waves his laser fingers. I don't know if he still has the laser fingers. Even no, he, he has, uses, he has, if he uses he has, those, he has a laser, uh, pentagram. Oh, the, yeah. The laser pentagram thing. I just don't know if I see that as someone holding the, top title where I can see, I could see Sonata in this gimmick holding that title. Especially um, like as like a short term transition champion. Yeah. Um, but I think in the future, it, it, it may be a toss up and it may come down to things that maybe we can't even anticipate at this point. Um, I mean, maybe people leave in the future and one of them gets thrust into uh, a higher position and it really succeeds. And then that's the answer. Maybe one of them gets moved up and it's total failure. And then the answer becomes, well, it's the other person. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to say, but I think they've got time because I think they still have a good amount of the top guys, especially if Jay White starts clicking. Um, you know, there's, there's no rush on either of these guys. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next question from at Venomous Nine: How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck? If a oh, sorry, I totally blew this. How much wood would a wrestler chuck if a wrestler could chuck wood? I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, I guess it depends. Now, is the is the art of wood chucking actually chewing the wood with your teeth? Yes. Okay. Um, so I guess it would be who, which wrestler has the strongest teeth, I guess would be the answer. There you go. Um, but I can't, <laughs> I'm not too well versed on, um, wrestler's teeth, I guess. Me neither. At yesterday, yesterday dances, if you had to switch to two wrestlers from their companies, why would it be Kento and Goto? 
I don't know if it would be for me, but <laughs> I don't I don't know about that. Are they saying that Goto would be to all would go to all Japan and be the all Japan triple crown champion? I guess so. I mean, he can have good matches, but I'm not sure that. I mean, I wouldn't do that either. Um, I mean, I love Goto, even though he's you know. I mean, Goto really probably should go to all Japan anyway. Well, yeah, but... he could go, but I'm not <laughs> trading him for your top. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You don't I mean, trade like, your all-star for a nice replacement guy. I mean, Goto's awesome, though. I love Hiroki Goto. I think he's one of the most underrated guys. But, like, it's clear that we're we're kind of done with him in New Japan now. Well, I mean, and but he also comes with – I mean, even if he goes to All Japan at this point, he comes with a lot of baggage that you're going to have to fight through no matter where he goes. I mean, he spent now however many years as sort of this can't-win, you know, second guy. You know, he's in chaos – Join the guy who beat him um, for the title and then just kind of went, okay, sure. Um, so it isn't a magical, you know, I'd like to see him go to All Japan, but even if he gets to All Japan, All Japan has to do work to get this guy to be a believable top guy again, I think, because in New Japan, he certainly, I don't think, is a credible top guy anymore. So if I wanted to answer... If I wanted to answer like this kind of question, who would I swap and where? I would really have to think about it. So I don't, I don't know. But that really wasn't the question. Which why would it be Kento and Goto? And I guess the answer is it wouldn't be. So it you go. Be. At Ben, at Ben Hers one. Who would you like to see in YMZ that hasn't been there yet? Oh, who would I like to see in YMZ? Has a Deki has a Deki been there? Because I want to see a Deki. Not recently, at least. Um... Actually, their upcoming card is is really great. Um, it has a Fum, Fuminori Abe's coming in to wrestle Asuka, um, which should be a lot of fun. Who is someone? I'm just trying to think. You know, the environment is very sort of. Um, this is not an official phrase, but loosey goosey, I guess. Um, but even someone like Hikaru Sato works very well there. And that's, I don't think someone, if I had never seen him there, would think would work. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, a lot of the DDT folks would probably do really well. Um, is there someone? I mean, Taguchi would probably be a lot of fun in YMZ. Um yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who probably would work and probably a lot of people I'm not thinking of um, who could probably go there and have fun. You know, it's all about having fun there. So I think there's a lot of people. Mm. Do you so, have a pick? Do I have a pick? Uh, no? Okay. <laughs> not really. I mean, uh, wait, no, did I just say Hideki? Oh, yeah, Hideki. That's right. You did say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, the the last question. Uh, let's see here. It was from at W is W in hell. Slightly off topic, but do you feel? But what do you feel about Ikumen Jiro signing with a big American company? I mean, I just hope it's not WWE. If it's AW, I'm not sure that would work either. But it definitely would not work in WWE. I mean, I think he has. I think he would definitely have more of a chance of succeeding in AEW than he would in WWE, certainly. Mm. And I think it would be 
I mean, AEW would be interesting. I said this, um, and I'll do my plugs at the end of the show, but um, I did a WrestleMania uh, preview. We talked about Sonny Kiss, who's going to be in AEW. And I, I am much more into, in terms of it's a brand new company, I'm much more excited by signing people who maybe haven't gotten that big shot. Um, you know, younger people who are talented over people we've seen and, you know, maybe people who have been in WWE or people who have been on the independence for many years and people have seen all over the place. Um, and I think Jiro sort of fits that mold. As I said, most people have not seen a lot of Wrestle One. He's got sort of a fun gimmick and I think he is talented in the ring. So I think that would be fun. I, as I said, I'm not super into him going to the States, but I think AEW would be miles better than going in WWE where I think he would be, I think he's either getting lost or he's getting over for a couple months. And then at the bottom falls out, like seems to happen with a lot of people in that company. Um, but yeah, we'll you know we'll have to wait and see, and we'll we'll see soon. All right, so that I guess is where we'll wrap this up. Uh, thanks as always for coming on, Taylor. Do you want to plug your Twitter and such? And have you got some appearances starting out and stuff? Yes, uh, thanks for having me. As always, you can find me on all social media: Tamimbo, T A M A I M B O. Um, I write for Voices of Wrestling, so you can catch me there. I also uh, just recorded earlier today the uh, my part of the big Voices of Wrestling WrestleMania audio podcast preview, um, which should be coming out in the next week or so. So you can catch me on that covering a whole uh, gamut of shows. I think I ended up covering eight shows ranging from Evolve, uh, Black, Clef, Black Craft Wrestling, stardom um all bunch of different shows so give it a listen and uh check it out when that drops and i will also be on that talking ddt and the msg show so i'll be recording that with rich later this week so that'll be that's pretty cool you can look over that i already did a written preview too for ddt which if you're if you're someone who doesn't normally follow ddt First of all, you're, you're probably not still listening. You didn't listen to the GG part, probably. <laughs> but if you are that person, I wrote a written preview that was very focused around like newer slash newer fans slash people who have no experience D- with DT at all. So if you want to like try to watch that US show, I tried I tried to introduce the company to you through that. So that should be coming out sometime soon too. So look out for that. Um, you can always follow us on Twitter at Wrestle Omikase. Wrestling would not fit. And we will be back next week. Our guest, um, I'm always wary of plugging the big, big names because I'm, I'm never sure if, like, you know, they told you they'll be, they'd be able to come on, but you never know if, like, something comes up. But next week, it's supposed to be Kevin Kelly, everybody. So that's supposed to be the guest next week, me and Kevin Kelly, talking about, you know, his career doing commentary, you know, what it's like to do commentary in Japan. And then we're also going to talk about the MSG show to do it like it's a preview of the show so that's what we're scheduled for i hope we can make it work but we are scheduled to record that next weekend so look out for that next week hopefully uh kevin kelly on his omakase debut so tune in for that until next time we will see you next time i don't know (laughs) bye everybody